first reading is from 2 Kings chapter 5. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Go in peace, Elijah said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him, and he will get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? he asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. Then he went in and stood before his master, Elisha. Where have you been, Gehazi? Elisha asked. Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or men servants and maidservants? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and he was leprous, as white as snow. This is the word of the Lord. May the grace of God, which is sufficient for all of our needs, uh, assure us of God's love, of his providence, of his protection, of his provision. Amen. One time there was a, a guy who answered a cell phone at his club in the locker room, and he, he picks it up, and the other guys in the locker room can hear the conversation. Hi, honey. It's me. Hi. Are you at the club? Oh yeah, I just got here. Great. I'm at the fashion mall and I saw a beautiful leather coat that I've had my eye on for some time. It's on sale. Well, what's the price? Well, it's down to $5,000. Well, <laughs> okay, go ahead and buy it. I know you've wanted that for a long time. Uh, honey, and I also uh, have to tell you, I stopped by the Mercedes dealership and I saw the new 2020 models that are just now coming up, and I really saw one I liked. I spoke to the salesman. Honey, he's, really, he's willing to give us a really good price, especially if we trade in the BMW that we bought last year. How much? It's only $80,000. Okay, but for that price, I want all the options. Great, but before we hang up, I stopped by to see uh, the real estate agent uh, this morning. Remember that house that we looked at last year? 
it's back on the market and it's for sale. Remember the one with the pool, the English garden, five acres and on the water? How much are they asking? It's down to 2.5 million. It's a steal. Remember last year it was 3 million. Now this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Well, honey, go ahead and, and make them an offer, but only offer them 2.3 million. Okay? Okay, sweetie, thanks. I'll see you later. I love you. Bye. Love you too. The man hangs up the phone and then raises the cell phone in his right hand and he says to everybody in the locker room, does anyone know whose phone this is? <laughs> oh. Sometime back, uh, Money Magazine declared that money and possessions are the number one ob obsession of Americans. It seems like we never have enough. Greed. That's what we're going to talk about today from our story from the Old Testament. It begins with a discontented heart. And who of us doesn't look around and sees other people and what they have and what we wish we could have? Greed. It's a, this inordinate desire to get more and more and more. It's to get not everything you need, but everything you what? Everything you want and get it now by whatever means are possible. It always greed, always thinks in excessive terms. It, it always hurries to grab more. Now the lust for more usually shows up in, in, in four different areas. And I know that you could point out more areas, but these are four that I've noticed. The first one is money. People will sacrifice their families, their friends, they will even compromise their health to draw that big salary and turn higher profits. And this craving for a bulging bank account then leads to another area of greed, and that's the lust and for more things. Money buys things. Money buys toys. And the one with the most toys wins. Now, I'm not sure what you win, but you've got a lot of toys. People often have agreed for fame, to be known, to be recognized, to be popular, to be influential, or people lust for pleasure. It can be any kind of sensual pleasure, whether it's the, 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 the lust for more travel, or food, or sex, or any of the other comforts that we enjoy in life. We want more. But where does it lead us? Remember what the wisest man of all time, Solomon, what he said in Ecclesiastes. He says, it's all vanity. It's all vanity of vanity. All is vanity. And he says, it's like trying to catch the wind. And can you ever catch the wind? No. And that's the way greed is. You'll never be satisfied. And I know believers in Christ who have fought these greedy temptations for years. Many of us in our minds, we've come to understand how greed and this lust for more and more and more, how it affects our relationship, first of all, with God. How it takes our eyes and our focus off of trusting Him who pr promises to provide us all of our needs 
and to look at everything else. And not only does it affect our relationship with God, but then it affects our relationships with others. But then there are others who call themselves Christians who see no such perceivable monster in their hearts. And it just becomes a way of life, getting more and more and more. It was Michael Douglas playing the character of Gordon Gekko in the 1987 movie Wall Street who had that memorable line, remember he said, greed is good. And for many, we've accepted that. But there's a memorable story today in the Old Testament that exposes the problem of greed. I have to take you back a little bit. Just before our text in 2 Kings, there was a foreigner, a guy from Syria named Naaman, and he had leprosy. And he came all the way from Syria to Israel to visit the prophet Elijah so that Elisha could pray for healing for him. But the prophet of God left Naaman standing on the doorstep and giving him a curious message. He says, just go and dip in the Jordan River seven times. Well, Naaman reluctantly trekked down to the river. And sure enough, on the seventh time he, he dunked himself, he got out of the water and he was completely healed. Not only was Naaman's skin cleansed, but so was his heart. For he says to Elisha upon returning from the Jordan, he says, Now that the, I know that there is only one God in all the world, the only God is the one you worship in Israel. And then he says, Please accept a gift from your servant. Here you got Naaman. The pre-Jordan Naaman was arrogant and smug. But the cleansed Naaman is humble and he's grateful and he's generous. The present he offers Naaman, we see earlier in the chapter, that listen to the stuff that he brought with him to give. 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 of the finest suits from Syria. And so with a clear conscience, as he receives this offer, Elisha says no. As the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And instead of taking the blessing from Naaman, instead he gives him a blessing and he says, Shalom, peace be with you. But standing in earshot is Elisha's servant, his main servant, and his name is Gehazi. And he listens with interest. He's always been the number two man to Elisha. He's never got all the, the glory or the credit for all the good things that had happened. But now he harbors a secret desire. He wants to grab some of the glory for himself. And so when Gehazi hears Naaman's offer for a small fortune, he thinks to himself, here's our chance. We're going to be rich. But while Gehazi is mentally spending his cut of the cash, he looks up and he sees Naaman and his camels heading north, still loaded with the treasure. And he thinks to himself, what? This can't be. In verse 20, he says, as surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and I'm going to get something from him. And so this greed gremlin in Gehazi's soul was working in him. And it starts with reason, with thinking. I want you to notice this because this is how greed starts in us. 
he thought to himself, this man Naaman, he only wanted to say thank you. And so to refuse would be discourteous. After all, he insisted that we take it. And besides, this guy has millions. This is just pocket change for him. And he didn't bring all these gifts all this way so he could carry them back. And by the way, doesn't God provide in surprising ways? Who would have imagined our needs met by a Syrian? Besides, I've been serving Elisha all these months, and look what I have. I have so little. I deserve more. I need more. I have to have more. <laughs> and so all this rationalization convinces him that he needs to do something about it. But the gift was not given to him. It was given to Elisha. And he knows his master's feelings about taking money for ministry, for serving the Lord. And yet, verse 21 tells us that Gehazi, he hurried off after Naaman. It's about greed. He wants more. There's a progression here when it comes to greed. First, Gehazi thinks to himself. He talks to himself. And then he pursues without considering God's will or even speaking with the boss, with his leader, Elisha. And so when Gehazi finds Naaman, Naaman sees him running toward him. He gets off of his chariot and says, is everything all right? And, and, and Gehazi says, sure, everything's fine. But I just want you to know and listen to this lie. He says, my master sent me to say, just now two young men have come down from the hill country. Can you please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothes? In other words, we've got visiting prophets for our ministry, and we need a little bit of help out for our ministry. Naaman believes the lie of Gehazi, and he says, by all means, take two talents and two sets of clothing. What's wrong with that? Well, when he gets home, he dismisses his servants and he hides the stash. But then he has to face Elisha. He thinks he's gotten away with these deceitful actions, but Elisha peers into his soul and says, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he lies again. He says, I didn't, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything. And so consumed by his rationalizations and convinced that he deserves the goods, he denies the truth before the one who had trusted him. How can he lie so blatantly? Oh, that's how far people can go to legitimize their secret greed. But unlike Naaman, Elisha is not fooled. God allows Elisha to see every detail of what happened. And so finally, Elisha pronounces a terrible judgment on his servant, a judgment full of irony. Listen to it. It says, Naaman's leprosy will now be your leprosy, and not only yours, but your descendants. And it says in our text that as he left, his skin had already turned white. Isn't it ironic? Naaman finds forgiveness and healing, but the trusted servant of the Lord who succumbed to faithless greed is stricken with leprosy. I don't know about you, but when I read this, and this is not a prominent story in the Old Testament, it kind of set me back in my chair, I have to be honest. Why? Because there's been time in my heart, and there's been times in your hearts too, where we've cultivated greed. And 
So we have to ask, well, what, what are you trying to teach us today, Lord, in this memorable story from the Old Testament? What do we learn? First of all, we learn that imagination, this thinking in our mind, can allow greed to grow. Gehazi's creative mind dreamed of wealth and power. And even though that dream turned into a nightmare, it's a fact that our imaginations are oftentimes fueled by what we see around us, the opulence of our world. And we see all those other people who have more than we do. And our thinking gets out of hand. We spin all sorts of, of fantasies about fortune and fame and stuff that we would like to have. All the more as God's people, we are called to focus on what is godly, what is appropriate, what God wants to bless us with the fruits of our labors so that greed can stop taking root in our soul. I, I appreciate what Paul said to the Romans. He says, rather, he says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Secondly, we learn that rationalization encourages greed to surface. Imagine, imagination, the things that we think, quickly turns to rationalization. Gehazi gave convincing reasons to himself as to why it was okay to Naaman and ask for some of the goods, the gold and the silver and the clothes. And sure enough, we can begin rationalizing why we need more. We start believing things like, I really need that. I would sure like to have that. I think God wants me to have that. And when you start to believe such lies, the, then even getting things dishonestly becomes okay. Because after all, I deserve it. It's okay to fib a little on my taxes because the government takes too much anyway, right? And so our rationalization feeds our greed and our desire for more. And we begin not only to lie to ourselves, but we think that we can lie to God and we think that we can lie to other people. So what does God call us to do? Finally, it's confession that brings greed to a necessary and an abrupt halt because no amount of lying can ever cover up the truth. It didn't for Gehazi, and it won't for us either. Greed is ugly no, no matter how much spiritual makeup we can try to put on it. And so God calls us, says, come clean. You see, admitting our sin of greed means facing our true sinful nature. And scripture calls that confession. Along with admitting our sin, coming clean, then what does God do? He leads us to the cross, where there is healing, where there is hope. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that now through his poverty you might become rich. You see, not only do we admit our greed, but how thankful we are that God leads us to his grace, his undeserved love in Jesus, our Savior. And we are assured that God is faithful, that he will forgive us from our sins. And as we look to the cross, we are assured that because of Christ's poverty, because he gave up everything, even his own life, 
Now, through that faith connection to Him, we are the richest people in all the world. So that rather than wishing and dreaming and scheming for more, we simply give thanks. God, thank you for all the good things that you've given to us. And even though we don't deserve it, you continue to heap upon us your love and your mercy. And we understand then that all that we have is really a gift from God. It belongs to him. And we understand also that because of his grace, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. That he will supply all of our needs. So that rather than just coveting and wishing and dreaming for more and more, the thing that we really ask God for is contentment. How many of you can say that you're content? Paul says that was the secret to his life. He says whether that he was in want, he didn't have anything, or he was overflowing with plenty, he says he learned to be content as a result of God's grace in Jesus. And haven't you found that the happiest people are those who are content with what they've got? As we confess this issue of greed, this insatiable desire for more and more at any cost, by God's grace and forgiveness, we also understand that God has given us all of our blessings so that then we can be a blessing to others. We find contentment in God's grace and we realize that what Jesus says is true. It is more blessed to give than to receive, to keep getting more and more. And by his grace, rather than wrapping our fingers so tightly around our earthly blessings and wishing for more and more and more, God teaches us to open up our hands and our hearts and our lives and our resources. We learn to be generous with what God gives to us so that Satan's hold of greed on our hearts and our lives is broken whenever we look to the cross. In faith and we learn to give as he has first given to us I enjoyed reading about a lecture that Millard Fuller Millard Fuller was the founder of Habitat for Humanity he was speaking at a seminary to 200 pastors or better and he asked them a simple question he says is it possible for someone to build a house so large that it might be considered sinful interesting question. And he says, raise your hand if you think that a huge house could be sinful. All 200 pastors raised their hand affirmatively. Okay, said Millard. Then can you tell me exactly what size with the precise square footage that a certain house becomes sinful to occupy? Where there was complete silence in the room. You could have heard a pin drop. And finally, a quiet, small voice from the back of the room spoke up and said, when it's bigger than mine. Today from our Old Testament memorable story, we understand that greed is a problem. It pulls us away in our love and our trust in the God who promises to take care of us, who has met our greatest need through his son, Jesus Christ. It also injures and harms our relationship with those around us because we're so focused on getting more. Today we understand 
that God has taken care of us. And we praise him for everything that he has given to us and especially our salvation in Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us be content. Keep our minds and our hearts free from simply desiring more and more and more. And Lord, as you have given to us, so enable us to be generous with the gifts that you've first given to us. Amen?